I'm Meg Dahl, your unbreakable host. Welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Unbreakable You podcast. I'm really excited to be recording this intro today. So this episode is part two of my hypothalamic amenorrhea Q&A series. So August, if you're new around here. (laughs) Let me backtrack for a second. August 2020 is my one year anniversary of recovering from HA or hypothalamic amenorrhea. So I really wanted to spend literally this entire month celebrating recovery and offering my support to All of you who are also moving through recovery right now, or maybe you have gotten your period back, but you're still having questions and needing my support. So I really just wanted to really dedicate all of August to celebrating recovery, celebrating our feminine bodies, celebrating our periods, and just literally talking about periods all month long. And so here we are, part two of our HA recovery Q&A. And I'm with Danny Sheriff again for this Q&A episode. Danny Sheriff is one of my friends that I connected with through HA recovery. And I really wanted to tackle all of your questions with someone else on the mic with me. It's really fun to just do a Q&A episode with someone else rather than it just be me. And I think it's really beneficial to do it this way because when I have someone else on the show with me answering your questions along with me, you're able to get two different perspectives on things. And obviously, Danny and I had two very different journeys when it comes to HA and our recovery and even post-recovery. So it's really fun hearing Danny's perspective and then also giving you my insights as well. So this is part two and Danny and I discussed after this episode that we're having so much fun and we actually haven't even gotten through all of your questions yet. So we are going to do a part three of this HA Q&A series. So stay tuned for part three, but I just want to give you a heads up that part three won't be coming out next week. You'll probably be getting a solo episode from me next week. Just an FYI, Danny is doing some backpacking, so she's away. So we're unable to record part three this week and have it out to you guys for next week. So it will be coming out in two weeks. I believe that's August 26th that you can mark on your calendars for part three of our HA Q&A series. And that will probably finally conclude the series. We've been having so much fun with this, clearly, which is why it's going to be three parts long. But like I said, next week you can probably be expecting to hear from me solo. So jump in our Facebook group. If you're on Facebook, just search the Unbreakable You podcast crew jump in our Facebook group. I'll approve you and let you in and let me know what you'd like to hear next week. I asked you all in the Facebook page just today, so I'm waiting to hear back and we'll decide what next week's topic is going to be. 
but I plan to keep it period related, obviously. Now, speaking about periods, guess whose period came yesterday? If you're listening to this live when it's released, so August 12th, 2020, my period actually came yesterday and it was one of those periods where my whole last week, like when my period came yesterday morning, it was like, oh my gosh, my entire life for the past week (laughs) makes so much sense now. On Monday night, I was pretty emotional and I definitely knew my period was coming. I mean, I track my period and I'm very aware about when it should be coming. This cycle was just a few days longer than usual, which is fine. My luteal phase seems to be getting longer, which is a good thing. So from the point of ovulation to when I get my next period, that is actually becoming longer and longer with every cycle, which is a really great thing because we typically want that space between ovulation and your period to be about two weeks. So that's kind of the goal and that's exactly how long it was for me this month. So that's awesome. That's progress. And I guess just a little note to make after sharing that with you all, right? I am one year into my HA recovery So I've been getting periods for one year and we can always be seeing improvements and making progress in our recovery and things like that. So definitely don't feel like, you know, once you get your first period back after HA, that's kind of like the end point. You're always going to be like growing and improving and progressing. So yeah, just thought I would remind you about that. Now, a few more reminders before we get to today's episode. Number one, I've been kind of getting this itch to start a YouTube channel. Kind of more of a behind the scenes of my life. And I don't know. I feel like it would definitely be different than having a podcast. A lot of people have podcasts and YouTube channels. I mean, Danny Sheriff, who's a guest on today's episode, she has two podcasts and a YouTube channel and she rocks all three of them. So anyways, I've been getting an itch to start a YouTube channel. However, I just feel like I don't have the space right now to be editing YouTube videos. So I am actually going to be doing a day in the life posting to my Instagram stories today, Wednesday, August 12th, 2020. So if you want to see an example of a day in the life of me, go to my Instagram. I am Meg Doll. That's my Instagram handle and peep my stories. I'm in my stories all day long today sharing with you what a day in my life looks like. And then one final reminder is I did launch my brand new small group coaching program called Back Home to You. And we start the first week in September. So I am opening the doors and accepting three clients to start with me inside Back Home to You in that first week of September. So if you have been wanting to work with me or have been really wanting to learn about my self-love framework and how to integrate that into your own life, how to completely upgrade and transform your mental and emotional health, this program is definitely for you. For more information about Back Home to You, just go to megdoll.com slash back home to you and you can get all the details there and you can apply to book a discovery call with me if you're serious about investing in this area of your health and personal transformation. Like I said, 
I'm only accepting three clients to start with me in September and my calendar is already filling up with discovery calls. So if you haven't jumped on that yet, I highly recommend going to magdal.com slash back home to you. And I plan to accept three to five new clients, maybe three, maybe five, maybe four every single month for a new round of back home to you. So I just want all of you to know that because I believe all of us on this podcast here are on that self-love, self-healing journey and inside back home to you, I will literally guide you through everything that I did to get to where I am today. All right, enough of me chatting. Let's get over to today's episode. And remember, I always really love seeing you guys Take screenshots of yourself or take a picture of your surroundings while you're listening to the episode. Post it on Instagram. Tag me. I am Meg Dahl. And you can also tag Danny, Danny Sheriff. We have our Instagram handles linked up in the show notes for you. So you can go check them out there if you're not already following us on Instagram. But take that screenshot of yourself listening to today's episode post it to your Instagram stories and tag us so we can connect with you over on Instagram. All right. Thanks ladies. And we'll see you next week. Hey, Danny, welcome back to the show. Are you ready for round two? <laughs> hey Meg, I am, I am ready. You're I ready. Promise. We got it. We, I'm here. I made it to the call. And I just am excited to just talk about HA. I know. I seriously feel like we could talk about HA forever. And I mean, you started a podcast all about HA. So clearly you feel the exact same way as I do. I do. And it's so fun to get on uh, calls with people on that show and have everyone say the same thing. You're like, I could just talk about HA all day. So, yeah community for sure it's so cool right so cool so I am so excited to dive into the questions that we have planned out for us for part two of our Q&A series um but last week we actually said that we were going to start with the question about like what was our moment where like we felt like we just reached that point in our journey that we were like, wow, we really need to address this whole not having a period thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I know my story. Did you want to go first or do you want? Why don't you go first? You go first. You're the guest on this show. I'd be happy if you went first. (laughs) Look, it was not crazy dramatic, but what happened was I just knew um, I didn't have a period, but I didn't know why. And then I honestly, I went to my annual OBGYN visit, which my annual, let's say, first visit in two or three years, because I just had moved countries and I didn't have a doctor, didn't understand the American um, medical system. And it was just so overwhelming for me. But I finally went and I had a male doctor and he did a full exam and he was like, is there anything else you want to chat about? And I was like, well, you know, I don't have a period because I, I guess he asked me how they were and I was like, non-existent. And he said to me, oh, well, it's really important that you do have one. And so I'm going to prescribe you progesterone and take these pills for 10 days and you should get a period. And that was the conversation. And I walked out of the doctor and I had the prescription, but I knew inside myself that that wasn't right. That I was just like, okay, I'm kind of freaked out because this is the first doctor that said this is a problem. And he's given me this pill and I don't think that's gonna do anything. Like, I just don't think this is gonna do anything. And I just immediately knew 
And I guess it's from coming, being interested in nutrition and being interested in holistic healing in general that I like was feeling a little bit rebellious and I was just like, I want to get back by myself. And that was honestly all that happened. And from that day, dove into reading, listening, learning about HA. And that's how I figured out my own diagnosis and that something was wrong. So that was basically it for me. Very cool. So at what point did you come across like the No Period Now What book and Dr. Rinaldi's work? Yeah. So I had No Period Now What was not my first introduction. I actually think, I think what I did was Google missing period or something like that. I found a podcast that I love to this day. One of my favorite podcasts is a well-fed women. Do you know it? I love that podcast. Um, and they had a random episode with just in the title. It was like missing period. So that's how hard it was for me to find like good information easily. So I listened to this podcast and that was the first one where they were like, well, weight gain is a thing. And that's a, that's actually okay. And have, what about not having to be super lean and stuff? And that that conversation was like, whoa, guys, that's crazy talk. What are you even saying that I don't have to diet anymore? Like that was my first introduction to the concept. Um, and they had mentioned the book in there. And I had gone and, uh, like I didn't, I didn't buy it straight away because I'm one of those people who's like, learn as much as you can before you have to buy a book. Even though it's an inexpensive book, it's just like a habit of mine. So I had then figured like, I knew about the the gaining weight and the reducing exercise thing from hearing around. I may have even listened to some of your podcasts. I may have prior to even buying the book. And then when I realized I was still having a hard time getting my period back, then I, I read that book. So that was kind of like my timeline. Very cool. Yeah, I I too didn't come across the No Period Now What book or Dr. Rinaldi's work like right off the bat either. Um, but we all know that I didn't have a period for 12 years. So it's not like I was just walking around blind for 12 years and thinking that it was okay to not have a period. Um, I remember my first Google searches were back when I was in holistic nutrition school, actually in 2013. So that was a while ago because, so I got my period back in 2019 and I was already Googling like how to get my period back, um, back in 2013, which like I said, is a long time ago. And I actually came across one of my now friends articles and it was literally the only article that I could find on Google um, about just getting your period back and a woman being like super open about, you know, having an eating disorder or disordered eating and then using just like food and less exercise to get her period back. And so this was my friend, Steph Garinke, and she's actually been on this podcast a couple of times. And yeah, she was like the first person that I ever came across talking about it back in 2013. Um, so I, I took some of what she said. Um, at that time, I was still kind of, you know, I was definitely exercising too much. But I think all I did was like start eating more carbs based off of like her recommendations. But the thing is, is like over the years, like I always came at it kind of from like a fixing approach, right? I was like, I'm trying to like fix this issue that I have with my body or like coming from it from that perspective. And I am living proof that approaching your health and healing journey from a fix it mentality or an I am broken mentality, it just doesn't work. And so, like I said, all the way back from 2013 up until 2018, I was kind of always going through this 
in and out process of trying to fix myself and then just being like, fuck it. Like I'm just, like, nothing's working. So I'm just going back to just eating normally again. And I also was kind of living in this mindset that, oh, well, I struggled with eating disorders for so many years that I really don't want to f- think about food and focus about focus on food. And I knew in order to get my period back, like I probably would have to think about food a little bit more and be more intentional with what I was eating. And this conversation actually came up with the girls inside my group coaching program this week is like, what are we identifying as? Or like, you know, um, what's our relationships with our past experiences, right? So for me, I was still operating out of that mindset of I'm the girl who used to have an eating disorder and now I don't want to think about food ever right so that was kind of always like this excuse that I was playing in my head without really realizing it and then in 2018 you know how sometimes like you keep receiving those messages from the universe or whatever you want to call it and they just kind of stick with you and start weighing on you more and more. And all of these like things, like all of my friends around me started getting their periods back. And just the topic of HA just kept coming up more and more and more. And I was like, okay, I know it's super not normal that I'm not getting my period. And it started to really freak me out that it started to feel really normal for me, right? And I've talked about this before. I mean, going 12 years without a period, it just kind of starts to feel like your norm, right? Like now that I have my period, like, yes, it feels so exciting every month and it's now my new normal. But going 12 years with HA, that was my normal then. And that freaked me out when, I started to feel like that was normal and know it wasn't normal. So I kind of had like that aha moment, I guess, where that just freaked me out and I knew something had to change. And I reached out to one of my friends actually that had HA and she got her period back. She's a midwife, Megan Reburn. And she she's on Instagram and super open about her HA journey as well. But she recommended the book No Period Now What. And I think like having the book was kind of like, okay, I just gotta like go all in and do this, you know? Yeah, it's, it's I guess most people have to have a journey before the book, right? So that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. I I like that I'm even listening to it. I also think that there's multiple camels, straws, whatever, <laughs> along the way, because as you said, like you got really freaked out by realizing how normal it felt for you. I would be on this journey and then like forget about the why or want to go back in the other direction. And then I would be personally reminded about the long-term health effects for me that was that would always freak me out. And I would hear about like, oh, you know, osteoporosis or like, what if I just step off a curb and I break my ankle? And, and although it's not yet proven, there's good hypothesis that it's connected to heart health. And it's definitely, it's definitely connected to multiple other areas of your body. And a lot of it's unknown. And it just, that was really unknown made me feel really uneasy and that would always re-remind me oh yeah this is something that's really important to me so yeah yeah I love that question so we actually have a couple food questions that I want to get into because they really like fire me up Danny (laughs) so I'm gonna read them and I feel like you're gonna really enjoy these too so we have a question about Well, this question is asking if there are any magic food tips. And I also think it kind of goes hand in hand with this other question about 
syncing our cycle. So, or like syncing with our cycle. So do either of us attempt to sync our cycle in any way using like seed cycling, food cycling, or certain exercise styles? So I really like these questions. And the reason for that is because I think when so many women are going through HA recovery, they know what they have to do. They know that they have to eat X amount of calories minimum every single day. They know that they have to probably maybe fully stop exercising, but they're always kind of looking for like, okay, but what supplement is going to bring my period back? Or like, so how does seed cycling actually work? Like, is that going to bring my period back? And I totally relate to these questions. I remember before committing to HA recovery, I was like always Googling seed cycling. And I'm like, you know, and I started and stopped it and started and stopped it so many times. But um, yeah, so I really, really wanted to answer these questions. Yeah, yeah. For me, it was um, sneaking in whatever, or trying to fit in all of the nutrients, the multivitamins, tons and tons of bone broth to try and get nutrients from calorie-free places, right? Because it's like, what if I'm on this, what if I have a nutrient deficiency and not really like an energy deficiency and maybe back then as well, not really appreciating how very different a nutrient deficiency is from an energy deficiency. And so I think that's an important point to make here is that HA can be nutrient deficiency related, but it is definitely energy deficiency related and the two are different. Such a good point. Such a good point. Yes, 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 yes. Um, Yeah, so for magic food tips, I mean, I don't think there is, like I don't have any magic food tips to provide anyone other than maybe elaborating or reminding everyone what we talked about last week is making sure your plates are balanced. You know, if you're eating a piece of protein, whether that's like steak or chicken or fish, and then you have a side salad, that's not a complete meal. You need to add rice or potatoes or garlic bread, like something like that, like whatever you want, but make sure it's including carbs, proteins, and fats at every meal, or else it's just like not a balanced meal. Absolutely. And the the importance of that is satiation as well. Like you're, you feeling satiated from that meal is a sign that you ate enough, right? And that's kind of the goal that I was going for. So if I only had protein and carbs on my plate, um, yeah, protein and like vegetables on my plate, fibrous, leafy greens, I would end up being pretty hungry again pretty soon. So I would have to eat again. And that is, there's nothing wrong with like having to eat again. It's more just that that is a example or a sign that maybe that first meal I had could have been even more balanced. And it could have had more olive oil dressed on it. It could have had more of a, of a carb base. So I suppose that a magic food that comes to mind as I'm saying that is like olive oil. It is butter. It is you know, whole raw cheese and milk. And there's things that can really help to both make your meal absolutely delicious and there are calorie dense foods that have a lot of nutritional value in them. So I suppose like to me, the word magic is what's a food that just does so much for you. Mm. To me, it's something that's high in calories, it's high in nutrient value, it's high in satiation, it tastes so delicious. Like that's pretty magical to have all of that in one food. Yes, yes. So basically to summarize, it's like, So we have two magic food tips for you, actually. And we didn't even really realize we had magic food tips. So number one is making sure those meals are balanced. And then the one that you added is like making sure when you choose 
foods such as we'll use yogurt for an example like make sure you're choosing that yogurt that is the most calorie dense magical yogurt you can find kind of thing yeah yeah like get the good quality stuff yeah that is that is full fat for sure and then this from when I worked with my NTP she really got me into into eating lots of deep colored vegetables the reasons have totally escaped me I'm not a nutritionist I am maybe you could, <laughs> yeah maybe you can speak to this but she was like the beetroots like the purple vegetables tons of beets she wanted me to eat carrots because they have beta carotene like there you could totally go down this rabbit hole right of of the foods but and and, and if you do that do that out of like curiosity and learning is magical about food but at the end of the day like eat what tastes good eat what eats the calories right mm-hmm Yeah. And I like how you said, like, do it out of curiosity. I just want to highlight that because when we move into this place of doing things out of pure curiosity, that helps us shift out of that. I got to fix myself mentality. Right. Something my clients and I talk about a lot. So let's talk about seed cycling. Is it something you do? Is it something you don't do? Tell me. No, it's not something I do. I am in the camp of that. It's not particularly well studied just yet. It's quite anecdotal, I guess. Flaxseed is the only thing that has any evidence behind it uh, and that I've seen. And that cycling it in at a certain time, I'm not 100% sure about it. I had all kinds of things like that recommended to me vaginal steaming abdominal massage but I really wanted to work on my big rocks first which is just like reduce the stress reduce the exercise and eat enough food and those were the little rocks Mm -hmm. which is which was just something that I felt like I would maybe do later and not as a Thing to try and get away from having to eat enough and do enough exercise. So for me, I did not cycle, but I do understand many, many, many people do. So maybe you can speak more to, to that. Yeah, I'm totally with you. There's actually like no good solid evidence proving that seed cycling is actually really effective for bringing your period back other than the flaxseed, like you said. Um, And it just kind of surprises me because there's so many. I mean, if you jump on Google right now and start Googling um, seed cycling for amenorrhea or whatever, like there's so many blog posts and it's just kind of um, a little disheartening, I guess, because I wouldn't say to any of my clients to just like start seed cycling because it's going to bring their period back. So I have a couple thoughts about seed cycling. If you want to do it, go for it. Don't replace like anything that you're currently eating with seed cycling. Just add it in. It's just going to add in more healthy fats and more vitamins and minerals. So I feel like that might just be like a benefit for you. I mean, for those of us who are going through HA recovery, so many women struggle with getting enough calories in. And I feel like grinding up some seeds and sprinkling them on your smoothie or your yogurt or on a salad, something like that, is just a really easy way to get in more nutrients and more calories. I did do seed cycling for some of my HA recovery. I wasn't like super strict on it or whatever, but like I said, it was just one of those ways for me to 
easily add in some more calories into my day. And I did that by grinding up the seeds and then I um, pulsed them together with some dates. And I actually just made like homemade energy balls and they were really good. And it's not like I was eating them for the seed cycling purposes, like trying to get my period back through that. I just thought it was kind of fun. And then the other thing, I feel like this is a benefit of seed cycling though, is like you get more in tune and more, you become more aware of what's happening with the moon, right? Because when you're not getting your period, you're not going to be seed cycling according to when you're bleeding and when you're ovulating. Instead, you're going to be starting your seed cycling with the new moon and then switching over to the two different types of seeds with the full moon. So I feel like that really helps some women just become more aware of what's happening with the moon cycle, which I think is really important for you know, when you do get your period, you're just going to be more aware with that cycle, like repeating and like when ovulation should be happening, that sort of thing. So that's kind of my take on it. So I like what you were saying about that, because about using it as something to be in tune with the moon. Because I was thinking also cycling, the amount of people who say that it's was beneficial for them makes me wonder, okay, well, what about the healthy user bias? And the healthy user bias is just where like, you could say that, you know, 50% of people or 90% of people who don't, or who do exercise and eat really well, don't have, I don't know what an example is here, I guess like alcohol related issues. And it's just because well, they don't eat alcohol, they don't drink alcohol. I think that's a bad example of the healthy user bias. I need one on the spot. Um, do you know how to explain it? No. You can Google it. <laughs> you oh, can Google it. Healthy user bias. It is, okay, when people who are cautious about are more likely to participate in a study or in an everyday example, it's when people who are more likely to take actions towards their health in general are more likely to see better results. So if someone who is seed cycling, that's probably not the only thing that they're doing mm. to get results for themselves. So I'm sorry, that was a long way to, to explain that what we got there. So if you're seed cycling, it's probably not all that you're doing. You're probably also increasing your calories. Maybe you're meditating. Maybe you're somebody who does yoga. You're probably somebody who is in tune in many other ways. And so that's why I take, you know, oh, seed cycling definitely works for me with a grain of salt because I really doubt that many people did it in in a controlled way for us to know 100%. But it's a great thing to do, like you're saying, because you're probably being more in touch with the moon and maybe you're going to want to track your symptoms and how you're feeling and then take action on those things based on what you're seeing I just I think it's a really good idea for that purpose yeah mm-hmm. and then just kind of deepening the conversation here with food cycling so to me food cycling is different than seed cycling, obviously. Again, not something that's going to necessarily bring your period back, but food cycling, kind of my approach to food cycling, and I do do it. I'm not like super strict or anything, but food cycling kind of goes back to traditional Chinese medicine, which is an area that I'm so fascinated with and I love studying it and I have for years. But basically like when you're on that first week of your cycle, so while you're bleeding, the focus is on consuming foods that are really blood building. Okay. And I have several Instagram posts about 
how to eat for each week of your cycle. So four different like recommended lists for the four weeks of your cycle. And I think it's a really like fun way to approach eating because you're working with your body. You're supporting your body with these certain nutrients that it needs when you're moving through your cycle. And it also gets us out of food ruts and starts like encouraging us to be experimenting with different foods maybe. And I honestly find it particularly beneficial when I'm on my period. So when I'm on my period bleeding, I do crave red meats, for an example, and really warm, slow cooked foods. And that's kind of what I would recommend for like food cycling during that first week of your cycle is your body really needs like warm, nourishing, well-cooked foods. Like it doesn't have that energy to like be digesting really cold salads, right? And that's when you want to add more anti-inflammatory foods into your diet as well that are really warming because if you do experience PMS or cramping, adding foods like ginger and turmeric and just slow cooked meats and red meats, that's going to help a lot. And then you also have to think about what's happening in your body. Like you're literally losing so much blood during that week and we need to restore and replenish, right? So adding in things like grass-fed beef or even liver, if you're adventurous and you're like me and you like eating liver, um, start having liver during that week of your cycle. I pretty much always do that and I always feel so much better. Nice. I love your answer. I think your answer is absolutely perfect. And so were you saying you have resources for that? You have lists? Yeah, I can actually put those Instagram posts in the show notes because I know for that answer, I mean, I could do an entire episode all about food cycling and what that would look like for each different week of your cycle. But we're not going to do that in this episode. So I just touched on foods for your first week, but it changes as the weeks go on, right? Because your body needs different nutrients throughout the cycle, which I find super fascinating. But, um, you know, following that really strictly, no. I don't, you don't. So we could probably move on too. Yeah, I, I don't do, I don't food cycle per se, but that's because my, my style of cooking in general is I get all surprise ingredients delivered to me and I have no control over that. And I do not prepare anything ahead of time in terms of like what I'm going to buy from the shop. So I just make that choice and I just try to eat locally and whole foods and seasonally. And that's kind of where I'm at and go by feel like if I'm more hungry, I know around certain times I need to eat more. Like you're saying, the slow cooked foods, the red meats, those kinds of things. I just incorporate as much as I can and basically hope that I'm hitting what I need to be hitting. Hey, I'm sure you are for sure. And just to kind of wrap this question up about exercise, like do you change your exercise throughout your cycle, Danny? Yes and no. I don't change my programming. Like a bunch of people will do that. But what I do cycle is my expectations of myself. And that's the main one. So I could be following a a particular program maybe because that's just easier. And I don't really have the interest or time or space necessarily to like change it all of the time based on my cycle, especially for me where my cycle could be anywhere. It could go from 24 days to 30 something days and it's just like not gonna happen. So I just adjust my expectations and of what I can push myself to do, what I can expect myself to achieve. And if I even need to or want to do a workout that day at all. And I think for me, that is what works best. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like we have similar approaches. Like weightlifting is really the only thing that makes me like truly happy in terms of exercise. So you won't find me doing like yoga for a week and then hit for a week and then cardio for a week and then weightlifting for a week. Like that's just not what I do. Um, so I follow like a four week cycle where I do a specific set of workouts for four weeks and then we change them, that sort of thing. Um, but when I'm on my period, like I typically take that whole week off and sometimes I'll like take the workouts. Like I definitely don't do any type of workout the first three days of my cycle just because I just don't feel like it. And I honor that. But then like the last few days of the week, sometimes I'll do like a body weight version of whatever workouts are laid out for me those four weeks, you know? So that's kind of my, that's, um, cycle syncing with my workout attempt type thing. People might be wondering, so I'm going to ask you, uh, where do you get your exercise programming from? Yeah. So I actually haven't even talked about this and I'm not sure why, but I just like don't talk a lot about my workouts because I think a lot of the women that follow me, like they're still trying to navigate their relationship with doing workouts and stuff. But since you asked, I actually do Booty by Brett workouts. So I subscribe to Booty oh, by uh, Brett. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not, but I've looked at it. Girl, it's so good. It's so good. And it's definitely like my style. So just over the years, I've gotten to know my body. And obviously, you know, it's, one year of having periods and these type of workouts seem to work really well for me. Um, They're really basic and I rest like three to five minutes between my sets and they're only three days a week and I just feel like nice and strong from them and yeah they're really fun. What about you? Yeah um, actually I do a lot of my own programming, but as of recently, my husband has wanted to finally start working out. So he and I are doing together one from the guys at Mind Pump. Mm, yeah. Is, yeah. Is, so Sal was actually on the show. It's funny because Sal was on your show? Yeah. He was? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I'm like fangirling right now for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the the fact that you do you're doing a Brett Contreras program and I'm doing a mind pump program is really interesting. They're probably quite similar, yeah, um, in terms of their philosophies. And what I actually like about it is when you first listen to content by either of those people, you're a little bit like, oh, you know, there's a lot of language around like what a what a good body is and and blah 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 things that maybe we would hear as alarm bells are probably things we would never say but if you continue to listen and you listen deeper and especially the mind pump guys you start to hear that their philosophies are quite reasonable and probably generally pretty good they just use different verbiage they just don't take it as seriously i suppose as we do yeah they're not women right (laughs) They're not women and they've had no reason to like dive down this this rabbit hole. But because of that, I'm actually often impressed and I quite enjoy listening to the Mind Pump podcast because of how much they talk about adjusting expectations. You're not always going to look a certain way. You can train and not try and kill yourself. Like you can train at 70%. You know what, if you want to do a 10 minute workout, He's, and, and it's been very healing for me to move away from high intensity interval stuff, from CrossFit type stuff, from Olympic weightlifting type stuff, and just like bodybuilding, aim to get strong, make sure you eat enough calories. And hearing those guys and following their programming has actually been really healing and helpful for me. 
So I just thought that was interesting side tangent. <laughs> Yay. I love that too. Yeah. I definitely feel like the same way about Brett. I really like his approach. I mean, I've been subscribing to his workout since January. That was kind of like a Christmas present to myself because I got my period back in August and then I was like, okay, in the new year, I'm going to like actually start working out a little bit more, you know, um, consistently, I guess, because I just missed lifting and I got my period every month right up until January. And so that was kind of like that promise I made to myself. I was like, okay, if I get my period consistently, I can purchase this booty by Brett program, which I did. So I've been doing that since January and he actually has us do a deload week every single week, um, every single month, pardon me. So I kind of just make that when I'm on my period, I just (laughs) basically take the week off. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, Post recovery, feeling good. And like we talked about, I I feel like we talked about this last episode, or maybe it was in one of our many other recordings. Um, If exercise is something that you want to add in, do it in a controlled way. Make sure you're upping your calorie intake. Make sure you're monitoring that thing because we, when we recover, we all think. I feel like you're the only person I know that didn't do this. The rest of us get one period and we go back to exercise and we're like, yay, we can do this again. And then we lose our period again. So you just have to be really, really careful. But yeah, working in an exercise program, it's just like bodybuilding, compound lifts and accessory lifts is just kind of a good place to start. Yeah. I think like every workout of mine has like five exercises in it. And I do that three times a week and I've been able to keep my period, ladies. So moving on to maybe some of the most, I'm looking at these questions here and there is one that's like screaming at me right now because I get it every single week. So how do you deal with waiting for period number two? It seems like waiting for the second one is even worse. Yeah, I get it. I remember when I actually, okay, so this sounds kind of crazy of me, but when my first period ended, so let's back up. My first period in August, 2019, it lasted a week and a half. It was a really long cycle, but I mean like that's probably to be expected after not having one for 12 years. <laughs> My body was like, yes, like, just let me bleed. So anyways, once it stopped, I actually kind of had anxiety. I was like, oh my gosh, my period ended. Like, I don't have a period right now. It was a really weird feeling. And I kind of had to talk myself through that and, you know, remind myself that, you're not supposed to have a period all month long, right? And so I worked through that, but I definitely understand that waiting for period number two to come along can be challenging. And I mean, from the amount of times that I get this question, this is a big struggle for a lot of women. So what do you have to say about this? Period number two is really stressful because the first one you're kind of like it just would be really nice to get it and the second one you're like it has to come or else you know insert perfectionistic tendencies I failed I I haven't done this right and you know what else when you got that first period you probably told a bunch of people and now they're all like so how's your period did you get your second one a lot of that happened to me as well so Look, it was sticking to the plan. Just if you do, if you keep it as you did the first, before you got your first period, you're going to get your second one. It's only when you make changes. So if you're, if you're trying to add in some more exercise, if you're trying to 
reduce the calorie because many of you listening, when you get that first period, you're like, okay, yay, this means I did enough. This means I ate enough. And then you're also like, oh my gosh, this means I'm eating enough. This means I'm eating too much. And those those thought patterns kind of sneak back in and it's very confusing. So working on that inner dialogue that whole time and sticking to what you did for to get period number one, I think is the most critical thing that you can do. And then you know period number two will come. Mm-hmm. But if you start to make changes, then you kind of know, you know, period number two is, you're the one that's putting it at jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of on you. I that's that's my thoughts on that definitely definitely um fully agree with that and what I would just add on because this is what I tend to tell people when they come to me with this question I always kind of throw another question back at them or kind of like a reminder that you know we went so long without a period and we've abused our body for so many months and in most cases years so like why do we expect everything to go back to normal right away right like our body is still just learning to trust ourselves and you know you just have to be super super compassionate with yourself and then also like really there's no need to stress about it like I know it's easy to stress about it but like when you actually take a step back like is it necessary to be stressing if your second period's gonna come or not like no do the things that you just said like don't change a thing keep doing what you're doing because you getting your period back for the first time is a huge sign that you're doing the right thing so just keep doing the right thing and 1000% your period's going to come back. Like 1000%. And if you're spending any time obsessing about it or worrying about it or stressing about it, try like taking that step back, shifting those thoughts to something else and even go do something else, right? Because you really don't want to change like we don't want to move from one obsession to the other right like we won't don't want to move from obsessing about food and exercise and all the things that we've obsessed about in the past and now shift our focus to obsessing when our period's gonna come right like that's what I do it's just not gonna and I get it I get it I mean I've even had my period for a year now and still like every single month the week leading up to my period I'm like getting kind of excited for it to come right um and I think for those of us who have gone through HA like we do have that unique relationship with our period so just be okay with that but just be so compassionate with yourself like Danny said don't change anything and just trust that it's going to come. I mean, if you're not trusting your body, that's you're putting that energy out there that you're not trusting your body. Yeah. And that needs to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And with your point about not expecting everything to go back to normal straight away. Yeah, like I said earlier, I have a 32-day cycle and a 24-day cycle, then I made a change by accident, had a 60-something day cycle. Um, it's just kind of, for some people, for some of us, it's kind of a wild ride. So just be like, figure out a way to be fluid with it. Mm-hmm. And yes, like Maggie's saying, what's stressing gonna come, what's gonna come from being stressed about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like maybe we can round off this episode with kind of a related question. It's not exactly the same, but this is another one that I'm sure both you and I get all the time. So how long after recovery do I have to maintain 2,500 calories? I get this one all the time. Like people, right after they get their period back, they like 
you know, consider themselves recovered. And now they're already wondering, okay, how, when, when can I eat less? Right. And I have a lot to say about this, but I'm excited to hear from you. I'm excited. I want to hear you first. Well, okay. So straight up, I guess like who would want to eat less though? Like in my opinion, like it's just like, isn't it awesome to eat so much food all day? Like I love eating food. I love eating a proper breakfast, like a really nourishing, well-balanced breakfast. I love eating a really well-balanced lunch and a really satisfying dinner. And then as I go throughout my day, eating those snacks as I need them, like to me, that's, that's such a normal relationship with food. It's such a normal way of eating. And I mean, I guess you don't have to be like so... Like for your entire life, you're not every single day going to be so focused on hitting a certain number of calories like you probably were focused on during HA recovery. But like, I don't really like this mentality that so many women have that they like want to like intentionally reduce the amount of food that they're eating after they get their period back. Like to me, it's like, okay, you know, the goal I would think is to become more comfortable and a little bit more flexible maybe with your intake and whatnot, but like to actually be wanting to not eat that much kind of confuses me because I really love eating like that much food, you know? And then the other thing that comes to mind is... 2,500 calories isn't even a lot of food. And the only reason we think it's a lot of food is because whenever you walk through the store and you see a magazine, all you're ever seeing is like these 1,600 or 1,800 calorie diets recommended, right? So it's literally been ingrained in our minds that those are normal numbers because you're seeing those numbers all the time. And then this 2,500 number, oh my gosh, that's like nearly a thousand more. That seems so high, but we really just need to rewire our thinking and just educate ourselves that that's actually a normal amount of food to eat. I am one year into my recovery and I still eat that much food literally every single day yeah i don't know i think about sometimes people who do one day fasts for you know spiritual reasons and stuff and i still just think it's a no it's gonna be a no um the other thing with the with the why 2500 calories i think feels so overwhelming to other people to people is because you're still stuck thinking that the best, the way to be, the accepted way to be by the world is in is on a diet, right? Because you're eating twenty five hundred calories and you are not feeling deprived, and you think that you need to feel deprived. Because this was me, right? In order to be doing the right thing, I needed to feel as though I was in a state of deprivation. I needed to feel like I could go to the fridge or the pantry, see food and say, oh, I can't fit that today. I can't have that today. But when you have 2,500 calories, that is an amount of food that you're just like, I am feeling complete, content and fed. And there is something in in your head that says, and that is bad, and that is wrong. So I would challenge, you know, the person asking this question to challenge why they're asking that question. What is it that you're trying to solve? What thought process, thought process or belief are you trying to change by by going back to eating like 2,000, 1,900, 1,700 calories? Because I just think you're a little bit afraid of feeling like you're not trying to eat less. Man, that's a good answer. Thank you. 
What a way to end this episode, girl. So good. I'm glad. I heard people people at home were like, oh my gosh, that's me. Because that's me, 100%. I feel that way all the time. So. No, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Danny, my friend. Thank you again so much for coming on and jamming out with me for the second week in a row. This is wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah. This is so fun. Definitely highlights of my week. I love it. Yay. Well, if that's the case, I'm totally down for a part three. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we have a never ending amount of episodes for podcasts that need to be made. I know. We'll talk about it. (laughs) Okay. All right. Awesome. Bye, girl. (laughs) 